with you again. Uh, I hope that you've all managed to stay safe and, and healthy and, and joyful. Uh, today, we'll be starting on the last chapter in the book of Philippians, uh, which, as you should probably all know by now, is a letter, uh, a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul uh, to his friends in the city of Philippi. Uh, at the time of the writing, Paul was uh, incarcerated in, in a Roman prison awaiting an audience with the emperor Nero. You know, as I mentioned at the, at the very start of this series, uh, the book of Philippians, even though it's only four chapters long, is just, it's just packed with vitamins. There is just so much good stuff packed into this little letter. Uh, and, and some of my absolute favorite verses uh, from Scripture are found in, in this little book. And, and as you're going to see, that, that characteristic of, of just being jam-packed with good stuff that holds true to the very last word. Uh, but before we continue, let me pray. Good and gracious God, we thank you for your great mercy that you have shown us. We, we pray for your spirit now as, as we study your word. Let our hearts and minds be open to the truth that is revealed in your scriptures. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, our passage for today is found in Philippians uh, chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 9. So if you have your Bibles or your phones or, or whatever you're using, go ahead and turn there now. Okay, Philippians 4. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise think about these things what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me practice these things and the god of peace will be with you well as we can see uh, verse one opens with the word therefore and we all know what to do right we ask ourselves what is it therefore well, in this case, I would say that, that it references everything that, that Paul has written up to this point. It's a repetition of the, the joy and the pride that, that Paul has for his friends in Philippi 
as well as a reminder to remain steadfast against the harmful influences that he had previously mentioned in his letter. Now, it's worth noting that because of the joyful tone that Paul uses and has been using since chapter 1, that the harmful influences that, he, that he's warned about, it doesn't appear that they've made any significant inroads into the, the congregation of the Philippian believers. But that's not to say that, that they didn't have any problems. You see, in, in verse 2, Paul finds it necessary to, to call out a couple of the church members by name and plead with them to agree in the Lord. Now, we don't know too much about Euodia and Syntyche, but we can make some reasonable assumptions about these two ladies based on the information that we do have. For one, we can assume that they were very active in the church, and most likely they were foundational members and had assisted Paul in the spreading of the gospel when he had first arrived in their city. And, and secondly, I think it's safe to say that, that because of uh, their status, they had a greater influence over the body of the church than the average person would have had. Uh, a disagreement between them, well, it could result in, in a loss of unity among the congregation. That's kind of like if we heard here at, at Blossom Valley Bible Church that the elders were fighting amongst themselves. See, disagreements uh, among the leadership staff is a trickle-down poison that affects the health of the entire church. In verse 3, Paul asks his true companion to assist in the the mediation of this little squabble that these women were having. Who is this true companion that, that Paul speaks about? Well, in reading his commentary on Philippians, uh, I found that Dr. F.F. Bruce, uh, he seems to think that, that it was Luke. Yeah, Luke, Dr. Luke, the, the, the author of the Gospel of Luke and, and the author of the book of Acts. Uh, see, the Gospel of Luke is, is primarily told from the third-person perspective. However, in the book of Acts, there is a shift in the the narrative voice. In chapter 16, uh, it goes from the third person where we would read things like, they had come together and they returned to Jerusalem. There's a shift to the first person voice. And now we start reading things like, and we were going to a place of prayer, and we immediately tried to cross over into Macedonia. The use of this language indicates that Luke was with Paul for at least part of his journeys and and was there when Paul first uh, arrived in Philippi. When we uh, compare the timeline uh, against what is found in the book of Acts and... uh, against his second letter to the Corinthians, it seems very likely uh, that Luke is the true companion that Paul refers to. And, and if he isn't, well, well then we're forced uh, into kind of randomly speculating who that true companion may have been. Personally, I like the idea. I really like the idea that, that it was Luke there in Philippi with Paul's friends. Paul obviously felt great affection for these women who had worked side by side with him, and it grieved him to to hear that they were struggling. So I I believe it was probably a a great relief to Paul, uh, knowing that Luke was there to help them. 
Now, verse 4 begins with with a repetition of that same exhortation that Paul used at the beginning of verse 3. Rejoice in the Lord. But here, Paul adds a little spice to it by by tagging the word always at the end of it and then repeating the word rejoice just to make sure there's there's no confusion as to what they should do. The the notion of rejoicing always will be of particular significance a a little later on uh, in this series when we cover the remainder of the chapter. But for now, we'll just accept it for what it is. Really, really good advice. And we'll move on to verse 5. Now, in the ESV Bible that that I use as my primary source, the text reads, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. However, depending on the translation uh, of of the Bible that you're using, you may have something different. Uh, In fact, you probably have something different. Uh, The King James Version Uh, uses the word moderation instead of reasonableness. Uh, The NIV uses the word gentleness. And the RSV uses the word forbearance. And these are all perfectly acceptable definitions. Uh, So, as usual, what I I did was I busted out my my big old Greek dictionary to to see what it had to say about this word. Well, I discovered that the, the primary definition was, I quote, not insisting on every right of every letter of law or custom, and the quality of making allowances despite the facts that might suggest reasons for a different reaction. Key points, not insisting and making allowances. That sounds like Paul is inviting his friends to be reasonable, especially if they're having a difference of opinion, like, say, uh, uh, a certain two women that he mentioned earlier. See, he is, he is absolutely uh, advocating gentleness and, and forbearance, but he's framing it in a very particular set of circumstances. This is definitely one of those, uh, if the shoe fits, wear it uh, type of admonition. Well, then he, he then informs the people that the Lord is at hand. Now, now this phrase, it could be taken to mean that the Lord's return was imminent. And that is most certainly something that Paul would say. Uh, But I think that in this context, Paul is referring to nearness of place as well as nearness of time. See, the Lord is near is a recurring theme in Scripture. For example, in Psalm 34, we can read, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And in Psalm 119, we can read, but you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Well, despite whether the Lord was returning tomorrow or in a couple of thousand years, this nearness of place would not be any less valid. Christ is continually and equally near to his people. It's for that reason that that Paul says what he says in verse 6. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. This is exactly in line with what Jesus taught his disciples in in Matthew 6, where he tells them not to worry uh, about what they would eat and drink or, or what they would wear. 
because tomorrow would worry about itself. For the believers in Philippi, life, life was filled with uncertainties. Uh, persecution of, of one kind or another was always a possibility. You see, there, there were professional guilds, uh, which were associations of merchants and, and craftsmen that were pagan, and they denied membership to anyone who didn't worship the same God that they did. Well, refusing to, to be under the, the patronage of whatever pagan deity was being worshipped by these guilds, that would have been a financial disaster for the followers of Jesus. But if the Lord was near, which he is, there was absolutely no reason for their anxiety. Jesus had encouraged his disciples be, by reminding them that their heavenly Father, who cared for even the smallest of creatures, he, their heavenly Father knew exactly what they needed and, and was well able to supply them. In the same way, Paul tells his friends to pray for what they need. He tells them to pray with thanksgiving, because giving thanks when you pray that implies that, that, we, that we are remembering what God has done in the past. Well, when you remember what God has done in the past, that's a huge source of confidence when you're praying about the future. And, and it gives a safeguard against anxiety about what may or may not happen. The removal of anxiety is just part of the equation, though. As Paul tells them in verse 7, they would receive peace. And not just any peace, mind you. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding. This is the very same peace that Jesus mentions in John 14 when he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Remember the old, uh, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart song? Well, just a kind of a quick story. When I was a kid, I, I had trouble saying my S's. And I can remember singing that song and, and struggling with the verse that said, I've got the peace that passeth understanding down in my heart. You know, trying to sing uh, in King James English when you have, when you have a lisp is murder on a kid. Yeah. Anyway, that was just some bonus info. Uh, the point here is that when we pray, God can and will give us a sense of peace that is beyond our comprehension. A peace that will, that will overwhelm us with, with the goodness and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Our hearts and our minds will, will know that they're safe because they're in him. And they're... We're immune to the troubles and trials of this world. Remember uh, back in chapter 3, when we talked about Paul starting off the chapter with the word finally, but it really wasn't finally because he still had two uh, chapters to go? Well, uh, here's that word again. Uh, but at least we're a, a bit closer to the end this time. See, in, in verse 8 he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about this thing. Think about uh, these things. 
This is one of my personal favorite uh, in all scripture, and it never fails to turn my eyes to the cross. And that is exactly uh, what Paul intended for it to do. The example of Christ more than meets uh, the requirements for all of these qualities. And I want to take just a minute to expand on that idea. Whatever is true, truth. If we can say anything about the last two years, it's that truth has acquired an elastic quality that, that most of us never saw coming. In a world of fake news and alternate facts where we can, we can turn on the television set and by, by switching between two news programs, we can hear two entirely different versions of the same event that are both being presented as the truth. Even Pontius Pilate, when he was sentencing Jesus to death, asked the question, what is truth? As if there, there were no absolute definition. Well, I can tell them. I'll tell CNN, Fox News, and Pontius Pilate that there is a source of absolute truth, and he confirmed it in his own words. Jesus said in John 14, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. You want some truth? Well, there's some truth that that you can build your whole life upon. Whatever is honorable. Well, honorable is turning water into wine because your mother asked you for a favor. Honorable is showing love and kindness to the least protected members of society. Honorable is knowing uh, that there are far more important things to be concerned with than where someone was born or how much money they have or what they do for a living. Honorable is being obedient to the will of your heavenly Father, even unto death. That my friends, is honorable. Whatever is just. Well, Jesus is the ultimate just judge. Listen to this from from John 5, verse 22. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. God has given all judgment to the Son. God, in in his perfect holiness, would have been incapable of a less than perfect choice. And so he chose Jesus. No offense to Judge Judy, but we're definitely better off having Jesus in the top spot. Someone who who loves us and, and forgives us and shows no partiality. Amen? Amen. Whatever is pure. Jesus Christ lived on this earth for 33 years and never sinned. I'm sure we'd all agree that the requirements have been satisfied for that one. Whatever is lovely. Christ drew people to himself. And although we are told uh, back in Isaiah 53 that Jesus had no form or or majesty that we should look at him or no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus was attractive to people. Whatever he may have lacked in his physical appearance, there was something about the man that people could not deny. 
I tend to think that it, that it was his ability to, to make people feel valued and loved that, that more than made up for his physical appearance. He invited conversation and, and he listened to people w- without judgment or prejudice. That is real beauty. A, a beauty that, that lives in the heart and expresses itself in the treatment of others. Whatever is commendable. Well, from the setting aside of his own deity to be born as a helpless infant right up to to Calvary's cross, Jesus Christ lived a commendable life. There has never been nor nor will there ever will be a life that, that was lived to such a high standard. See, Paul concludes his statement by exhorting his friends to to think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And I found it, I found it interesting uh, because on first glance, these things that, that Paul refers to, they seem to refer to any excellent or praiseworthy situation that his friends might encounter. However, as I read and, and, and I reread the passage, something became, became clear to me. Excellent and praiseworthy are judgments that, that are made by the observer. Excellent and, and praiseworthiness are not in the same category as, say, purity and righteousness. Jesus Christ is praiseworthy and excellent because he exemplifies all of the qualities that Paul listed. What Paul and I, I suppose, are, are trying to say is that we must be careful in our assessments and and utilize a system of criteria before we declare anything to be excellent or praiseworthy. And although we can apply this concept broadly to, to include virtually every aspect of life, because of what Paul is going to be writing in, in the final verse of our passage, I'm going to use the spiritual role model as an example. See, uh, in a previous message, I talked about the importance of choosing worthy objects of our imitation. Now, obviously, Christ is at the, at the very top of that list, but there are going to be human examples that we may be tempted to emulate on some level. When this happens, we, we need to ask ourselves, is this person worthy of emulation? How do my observations of their behavior compare to the list of admirable qualities that Paul presented in verse 8? Are they truthful? Are they honorable? Do they bring a quality of goodness to life that is worth imitating? Questions to ask. Well, now for the... uh, It's not really bad news, but... (laughs) The list is not just for us to compare other people too. Oh no, not by a long shot. Our own words and actions are, are subject to the same standards. And our primary duty, before we even think about choosing earthly role models, is to ensure that we're conforming our own lives to the excellent and the praiseworthy example of Christ. You have all heard me talk about the list of questions that we should ask ourselves Uh, before we say something or before we post something online. I hope you remember anyway. Remember, I I, I said to ask ourselves if if what we're about to say is true or is it helpful 
and is it necessary? Well, that list just got a little bit longer. It's not enough to to look to higher things. We need to be saying and doing higher things. That is what showing Jesus, that's what showing Jesus to the world is all about. Paul knew that, and because he was doing everything in his power to be like Jesus, he had no reservations whatsoever about inviting his friends to follow his example. In verse 9, he he repeats and and he expands on what he had said back in chapter 3 when he encouraged his friends to join in imitating me. But he also adds a, a little bonus at the end of this invitation. He tells them that if they are faithful in their following of his example, then the God of peace will be with them. That's an attractive reward and a powerful incentive. But we need to realize that Paul is offering a conditional statement here. There is an implied causality that is both sobering and very, very real. What's not being said, but it is definitely being implied, is that the God of peace, the God of peace will not be available to those who choose to follow an unrighteous example. When Jesus said that no one comes to the Father but through me, well, that is exactly what he meant. As we move into the the closing portion of today's message, I want to offer a couple of observations from what we've been talking about that that I feel are especially important in our current situation. The first would be Paul's exhortation to Rejoice always. Now, even though I plan on exploring that notion uh, a little later on in this series, it's so profound and so important that I won't feel bad about repeating myself when that day comes. Over the past seven months, it has not, it has not always been that easy to, to be joyful. I think you would agree. You know, we'd be in a place uh, uh, where we were kind of getting our our feet under us, kind of getting our bearings and and adjusting to the the new normal, and then bam! Something new and awful would would sweep in and and knock us back to square one. It's exhausting. It's been exhausting, and it's it's been nerve-wracking and not very conducive to a joyful attitude. But, as Paul said... And we all should know, the Lord is at hand. The Lord is near to us. He is just as near to us right now as he has ever been. And that right there is a reason to be joyful. Not only is he, is he with us, but he's listening to our prayers and, and he's going to respond to them. I don't know about all of you, but the new normal feels a lot like the old anxiety. And I find myself worrying about the future, about things that are, that are totally out of my control. Talking to God, praying to God, praying with thanksgiving is an amazing blessing. When we pray to God and we, we thank him for what he has done for us, We are reminded of his providence, uh, that there has never been a time when he has failed us and that he will continue to provide for us. 
no matter what the future holds. I told you all way back in May, in my very first message, that God is in all of this. And I will say it again today. God is in all of this. He is a good, good God. And he wants nothing but the best for his children. He's not obstructed or diverted by the failings of this world. He's overcome the world. And, And his peace will transcend even the darkest of our days. So talk to him, people. Thank him for for all that he's done and and for all that he's doing and for all that he is going to do. He's faithful, and he really, really wants to help us get through this. See, having having the proper attitude is a huge part of of being able to persevere through the tough times. It's, It's easy. You know, to, to, to fall into the trap of that repetitive, downward spiraling thought patterns. And unless we take steps to, to break the pattern, we'll just keep sinking lower and lower. We have to give our minds a way out, a different path that, that leads us away from the doom and the gloom into a healthier space. Well, I have some really good news, and, and I want to share it with you all right now. The pandemic The election, the social, and the the economic unrest has not totally ruined the world. It hasn't. Truth, purity, beauty, justice, and all of those things are still within our grasp. In fact, some of you are holding them in your hands right now. I'm talking about the Bible. God's Word. It's God's word, and it's overflowing with with every good thing, and he wants us to take as much of it as we need. Read his word and and let the the Holy Spirit transform you. Like Paul said in Romans 12, do not be conformed into this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. God will bring us to exactly where we need to be, providing, of course, that we're willing to to follow his lead. He is inviting us to draw closer, and his invitation is all around us. You know, just last week, as I was headed home from Knob Hill, you know, my local grocery store, the radio show that I was listening to, it played a piece of music that, that I had never heard before. It was the isolated vocal tracks of of John Lennon and Paul McCartney uh, singing the Beatles song, If I Fell. Well, it was so beautiful. And I remember thinking that it was just as beautiful before the world decided to go crazy. It was a very grounding moment for me. The realization that all of the good gifts of the Father had not faded. They were still there. They were just as vibrant and, and inspiring as they had ever been. And that, and that it was up to me to seek them and to find them. So think of something that, that brings you joy. Think of something that, that makes you happy. And do it. Let the the peace of God fill your heart and give him thanks for being such a generous father. Well, in closing, 
I have a, a small homework assignment for you. There won't be any tests, but there's just a small homework assignment. I want you to literally set your eyes on higher things. Go out into your backyard tonight and look up into the sky. As you contemplate the, the vastness of the universe, think about the God who created everything that you see. Think about his righteousness. Think about his holiness. Think about his excellence. And think about this. He knows your name. You're a child of the king. And you are so very, very loved. Let's pray. Good and gracious God, we thank you for your great faithfulness. We know that you are always near and that you are providing for our every need. Help us, Lord, to discern your will and give us the strength and the wisdom to follow, to follow wherever you may lead us. Keep us safe from the dangers of this world and from the temptations of the enemy. Grant us your peace as we bring the good news of your son to a desperate world. In his precious name we pray, amen. As always, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he be gracious unto each and every one of you. May he turn his face to, to make it shine upon you and grant you his peace, the peace that passes all understanding. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Have a wonderful week. Stay safe, healthy, joyful. I love y'all. See you next week. Bye. Good morning, brothers and sisters. Communion is the exchange or sharing of intimate thoughts and feelings on a spiritual level. It's not just something that happens on a Sunday morning. When you have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the opportunity to be in communion with him every day. For we are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, who is our constant companion, ever present, and promises never to leave us or forsake us. When we gather together and do the act of communion, we're remembering the Lord Jesus' body and blood broken and shed on the cross. We are together in unity taking this, the bread and the juice that represents his body and blood. We are declaring to each other that your God is my God. If you have the chance to put these elements together in your home, let's share in these as brothers and sisters in Christ, starting with the bread that represents his body. And we'll share in the cup which represents his blood shed on the cross for the remission of our sins. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we declare that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of our life, and we remember the high cost of that salvation. 
Thank you for the Holy Spirit who promises to guide us and to counsel us in all your ways. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. You never change. You never fail, oh God.